0: Remain standing for the gospel lesson, which is also the sermon text from Matthew 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Thus far the reading of God's word. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we need your help to live as those who are pure in heart. But we want to see you. We want to see more of who you are, more of your glory, more of your goodness and your grace and your greatness. So help us through your word, through the various passages of scripture scripture that we will read and consider and meditate on. Work in us purity and sight. In the name of Jesus, amen. Please be seated. Well, we continue our trek through the eight Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. I invite you to open your Bible to Matthew 5. We'll start there, but really open it so that you'll be ready to flip around. I'm going to have you looking at two or three other passages. So have your old-fashioned Bible or your electronic Bible handy to look at some scriptures with me. In the early 1980s, there was a blind woman named Anna Mae Panika. Mrs. Panika was 62 years old, and she had been blind from birth. She had never seen anything, ever. In 1981, some doctors removed cataracts from the lens of her left eye. The, these were rare cataracts that she had somehow developed in the womb. And so after the doctors successfully removed the cataracts from her eye, Mrs. Panika, at 62 years old, saw for the very first time. She told one of the newspapers that everything was bigger and brighter than she had ever imagined. The world of colors and shapes and distances and dimensions was more brilliant, more dazzling, more intense more vivid than she had envisioned. And I want you to think with me for a moment about how wonderful it must have been for Anna Mae Panika when she saw for the first time the faces that she had only ever felt with her hands. When she looked at her husband for the very first time. When she saw her first sunset or her first bird in flight the gift of physical sight is a wonderful gift from God that we take for granted but that she probably didn't after that and the miracle of seeing for the first time cannot be described adequately Uh, no words can convey the the wonder and the joy of that experience yet there is a seeing. That surpasses even this. And this is seeing God. Seeing God. Seeing God is the greatest joy. It's the highest good that any human being can experience. And when we pass from this world to the next, when we die and see the face of Christ, the joy of that first second in heaven before the throne of Christ, will far exceed all the accumulated joys of this life. In this life, we only see dimly. As in a mirror, a dim reflection. But then, Paul says, we will see face to face. We'll see clearly. Now I know in part, then, Paul says, when I'm, face to face with my savior i shall know fully even as i am known fully your for, your first moment in the presence of jesus presence of jesus when you see his face for the first time that first moment will be packed with more joy than all the joys of this life combined surely it will be the highest good your greatest joy the wonderful story that i told of Mrs. Tanika, that miracle of sorts, fades in comparison. That's ultimately what the sixth beatitude is about. Not, not the only thing it's about, but that's what it pushes us to envision. Seeing God. The fullness of seeing God. The climax of seeing God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This short saying of Christ tells us, though, how to have 2020 spiritual vision in this life, or at least to get on the road to having that perfect vision, even now. It teaches us how to be on that trajectory of seeing God so that we see God more and more, even in this life. If we want to see God, not only in the next life, but also in this life, We need to unpack this verse. We need to understand what it means to be pure in heart. Now, in the Bible, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, to be pure means to be internally clean. Clean on the inside. Holy on the inside. There's an emphasis on the inside. There's different words that emphasize the external holiness or purity or cleanness the ceremonial cleanness when jesus says pure in heart he is echoing a specific and important and important phrase in psalm 24 that's the first place we're going to turn i want you to turn to psalm 24 the psalms are right in the middle of your bible so turn to the middle and then find psalm 24 And I want want to show you how the sixth beatitude is linked to Psalm 24. Jesus is borrowing language from Psalm 24, verse 4. So turn to Psalm 24, and we're going to read verses 3 and 4. In verse 3, the psalmist asks two questions. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand... In his holy place. Now we need to stop there before we go on. And just realize. These are two of the most important que- important questions that we can ask. Who are the people. Who get to stand before God. In his presence. To see him. Who may go up. To that glorious and holy place. And stand before him. Who may see God. We find the answer. In. The first line of verse 4. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Or maybe more literally, he who has clean hands and who is pure in heart. The phrase there in the Greek Old Testament is the same as the one that Jesus uses in Matthew 5.8. Pure in heart. Same construction. Same vocabulary. Same grammar. So do you want to see God better? Do you want to eliminate some of that dimness and fogginess that is inevitable in this life, but able to be removed slowly but surely in this life? Then get cleaner hands and become purer in heart. The Old Testament prophets looked forward to the time when God would give His people... Is New Covenant people clean hearts? If your Bible's still open to the Psalms, flip over seven books toward the New Testament, seven books toward the New Testament, to the book of Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel. And we're going to read two verses from Ezekiel chapter 36, Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel was written, remember, about six centuries, a little less than six centuries before the birth of christ and chapter 36 of ezekiel it looks forward to the new covenant the new covenant people god talks about what he's going to do for his people when he makes this new when he establishes this new covenant with them In ezekiel 36 look with me at verses 25 and 26 Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And you don't have to turn there, but but Jeremiah 31 envisions the same sort of thing. Jeremiah 31 is in the, in the passage there about the New Covenant. And Jeremiah 31, says that God in the New Covenant will put His law in the minds of His people. He will write His law on the hearts of His people. A pure heart is one that has God's law written all over it. To be pure in heart is to be pure in on the inside. In the 1st century in, in the in the time of Jesus the religious leaders and the people in Israel were not all that concerned oftentimes with the purity on the inside. See this especially in the Pharisees and in Jesus' rebuke rebukes of the Pharisees. They only worried about keeping the outside clean what people could see. So Jesus warns them in Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee. I want you to notice how he uses the word blind. He calls them blind. They can't see. They can't see the truth. They can't see God. Blind Pharisees. First cleanse the inside of the cup and the dish, that the outside may be clean also. And he continues, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. All the uncleannesses. Even so, you, are also out, you also outwardly appear righteous to men. But inside, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. If the Pharisees had written the sixth beatitude, it would have read like this. Blessed are the outwardly clean. Blessed are the outwardly pure. For they shall see God. And these were Israel's teachers, Israel's leaders, spiritual leaders, doctrinal leaders. So we see then the necessity for the sixth Beatitudes call for a radical renewal, a radical inner renewal. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In addition to inner cleanness, pure also calls for a purity of devotion, we'll call it. Devotion refers to our, our whole being, our whole spiritual life. Our, the orientation of our, our life. What are we devoted to? The word pure carries the idea of being free from every taint of evil. Now, I I emphasize every taint of evil because purity in Scripture is comprehensive. It covers everything, the whole Christian life. That's why I use the word devotion. Purity is not limited to sexual purity. That's often what we think when somebody says purity. We we go to sexual purity. It includes sexual purity, of course. But it's not limited to that. It's, It's deeper And it's broader than that. Here in the sixth beatitude, pure in heart means a heart that doesn't bring mixed motives and divided loyalties to its relationship with God. It is a heart of singleness in devotion to God. Pure, unmixed, undivided devotion. James refers to this idea in James 4.8. He says, purify your hearts. Notice he uses that language. Purify your hearts, comma, you double-minded. Okay, so the opposite of being pure in heart is being double-minded. Purify your hearts, you double-minded people. Get rid of your mixed emotions. Your duplicity, your double-mindedness. Be simple and pure and sincere in your devotion. You can, you can imagine the idea that we're getting at here from everyday life. If you just think about that guy, or that gal maybe, we'll, we'll say that guy, that you've been in conversation with, who has, who, you know, he was nodding his head, and smiling as you talked to him, but you knew he wasn't listening. Because he kept looking around the room at other things and other people to see what's going on, or maybe see if there's a better conversation to be a part of. He wanted you to think that he was into the conversation, but he clearly wasn't interested in you. He only saw you as an object or maybe a means to a greater end that went beyond that conversation. He was distracted and double-minded in that conversation. His his heart was divided and impure. We've probably talked to that guy. We've probably been that guy, right? Now, if such behavior is unacceptable in, in human relationships, how much more deplorable is such behavior in our relationship with God? So when you pray, are you able to sustain your thoughts on God, on the things of the Lord? Are you interested in the conversation with God? Can you go for more than five minutes without getting sidetracked or looking for something more interesting and exciting and productive to do? Do you maybe even try to trick God into thinking that you're interested in Him by giving Him your lip service, by making sure that you're at church and that you do your quick, on-the-go prayers. Is God just an object? Another thing on your to-do list? Another layer on your life? A means to an end? Or is God the single object of your heart's Devotion. Are you distracted in your relationship with God? Or is your heart focused and pure, undivided? Purity is focus, absorption, concentration, sincerity. And singleness. Blessed are the pure in heart. That's a penetrating statement. It cuts to the heart. Because focusing on God with a singleness of heart is a major challenge for all of us. The depth of what is called for here is truly deep. And it's seen in, the, in those qualifying words, in heart. Blessed are the pure, in heart. We're to be focused on God in heart. In the Bible, heart means more than just your mind, what you think. It includes your emotions. It includes your will. It's really everything. It's the totality of our ability to think and feel and to decide. So pure in heart means that not only our minds, but also our feelings and our actions are to be concentrated from beginning to end and all the way through the middle on God. If our focus is merely intellectual, we are not pure in heart. Martin Lloyd-Jones paraphrased blessed are the pure in heart this way. He said, blessed are those who are pure, not only on the surface, but also in the center of their being and at the source of every activity. Listen to that last part. At the source of every activity, you're to be pure. And that's a daunting requirement, right? Right? Jesus is calling you to a radical cleanness of heart. A heart totally focused on God. The depth of of this heart requirement is highlighted when we realize that it's from the heart that all our human problems flow. Jesus says in Matthew 15, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. And in Mark 7, Jesus says, Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man from the heart that makes him unclean. For within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts. So the Scriptures are clear and conclusive on this point. But our hearts also point to this truth, to this same point, don't they? Our experience confirms that what Jesus says is in fact true. All we have to do is look into our own hearts and observe the darkness, the mixed motives, the dividedness the distractions, divided loyalties. A man once said, I don't know what the heart of a bad man looks like, but I do know what the heart of a good man looks like, and it's dreadful. The looming question then is, how can we ever accomplish this? How can we ever do what Jesus is, in fact, calling us to do In Matthew 5, verse 8, in the sixth beatitude. Is this beatitude beyond our reach? Well, in a sense, yes. Because Jesus is asking for perfection. And at the end of Matthew 5, remember, still in the Sermon on the Mount, that's precisely what Jesus requires. Look at the last verse, if you're in your Bibles, flip back over to our verse in Matthew 5, and then go to the end of the chapter the very last verse in Matthew chapter five says, therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. You shall be complete, fully mature, perfect, just as your father in heaven is is perfect. That's pretty perfect. That's pretty mature. That's pretty complete. Just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So that's what Jesus is calling us to. That's what, he, that's what he's pointing us toward. That's the vision. And this might drive us to despair. It shouldn't, but it might. You might be tempted to just despair at this point because none of us perfectly models any of the anything in the whole Sermon on the Mount. We don't, we don't perfectly model these eight beatitudes. None of us is, perfectly exhibits a poverty of spirit. None of us perfectly mourns over our sins. None of us perfectly exhibits meekness, gentleness. None of us perfectly hungers and thirsts for righteousness. None of us is perfectly merciful. None of us is perfectly pure in heart. So what are we to do? Well, there's there's really one main answer. We must cast ourselves on the grace of God and receive his radical renewal. We must be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We must be transformed from the outside in by God. We must ask God to implant and then cultivate the character of the kingdom of God in our hearts. Plant it and cultivate it in our hearts. We need to pray for that. We have a responsibility to cultivate it as well, but we need to ask God for his grace, his power to do it. If we do this, these qualities will take root and grow within us. Now, you won't, I won't, we won't attain perfection in this life. However, and here's the point of what Jesus is talking about in this strong language about perfection and kind of pushing us beyond our limits. Here's the point. You won't attain perfection in this life. However, you must be on the path to absolute perfection In this life. You won't reach moral and spiritual perfection during this life. But at some point in this life, God's grace grace must put you on a trajectory toward moral and spiritual perfection. You must be headed in that direction to be called a child of God. You must be on the narrow path, the one that doesn't lead to destruction, but whose end goal, whose end destination is the perfection. And, you, and when you die, you'll get to be numbered among the, the spirits made righteous, made perfect that Hebrews talks about that are in heaven. If the character of the kingdom of God is not present in you, then you're not on your way. To the kingdom of God. So with the sixth beatitude. You must ask yourself. Is my heart clean? And do I know anything of single hearted devotion to God? Do I know anything of that? The answers to these searching questions. Indicate the state of our spiritual health. Remember that the beatitude's. sort of diagnostic they they help us to diagnose our spiritual health and where we need to grow where we need to repent where we need to cultivate righteousness so god's god's demand it got it's it's impossible god demands a humanly impossible thing humanly impossible character and he gives you that character by his grace but he also blesses you alongside that with a humanly impossible vision. Jesus promises you a vision of God himself. Think about that. Just let that sink in. A lot of these things have to sink in. Here, as in all the Beatitudes... The word they is emphatic. Matthew, Jesus throws in an extra they. The word they is represented twice in in the Greek there to emphasize that they will see God. They alone will see God. These are the people who will see God. And all the Beatitudes, it's that way. There's this emphasis. This is what it means to be a member a citizen in the kingdom of god they will see god as they become pure in heart and they will continuously there's an ongoing aspect too they will continuously see god as they continuously become purer in heart and so what this means is that it's actually possible to see god It's actually possible. It's it's humanly impossible, I said, and that's true, but it's also possible because what's impossible for us is possible with God. So it's possible to actually see God in this life now and to see him with greater clarity as you grow in purity. So it's not just in the next life. It's not just in the life to come. It's also in this life. Helen Keller, who was a Christian, said that it's better to be blind in your eyes and to see with your heart than to have two good eyes and see nothing with your heart. See, Mrs. Panika's operation in 1981, it was wonderful. It was a a miracle of modern medicine, as they say. But there is yet a better seeing. And Christians see God now. Of course, we don't see God in his total being. For one, that would be too much for us. However, we do see him in many ways. We see him by faith. We see him in the scriptures, which for us for the, are, are living and active they're sharper than any two-edged sword, and they're penetrating. We see and celebrate God in creation. We see Him in, in everything that He's made. You can't help but see God, if, if, you are, or if you have His Spirit. Psalm 29 says that when David watched a thunderstorm, he saw God. Speaking about thunder, David says in Psalm 29, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. So he he used that opportunity of, of witnessing this grand event of creation to see God in it, to see God behind it and in it. This kind of seeing belongs only to the believer. We see the footprints and the fingerprints of God all over creation, all over nature. Those of faith see God in the scriptures, see God in creation, and they see God in the events of life, in in the providence of God, the ups and the downs. So the sixth beatitude tells us that the purer our hearts become, the more we will see of God in this life. Those those things grow together. Our purity, our undividedness, our sincerity of heart, and our vision of God. Our ability to see God even in this life. The more our hearts are focused on God, absorbed with him, concentrated on him, freed from the distractions that are not God, everything that's not God, sincere, single, the more we will see him. As our hearts become pure, the more the word lives in us and acts in us the more creation speaks to us, the more God speaks to us through creation. Even the difficult circumstances of life seem to sharpen our vision of God. That's If you read the book of Job at the end, he's saying, I didn't see you before, now I see you. And part of how he learned to see God for who he was was by going through all of that suffering. Seeing God in this life is the highest good. And God wants our good. So he'll do what it takes in his children to make sure that we are growing in our ability to see him. And those who see him become more like him. Those who, when you see more of God, you're becoming more like Jesus. That's what Paul says in Second Corinthians 3.18 and we all as we reflect the lord's glory with unveiled faces are being transformed into his image from glory to glory so how do we how do we move upward and inward going from one degree of glory to another degree of glory how does that happen we do it by seeing jesus with unveiled faces we do it by By keeping our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. The author and the finisher of our growth in purity. Our growth in grace and godliness. And this happens, this happens in this life. This happens in this this process, this growth from glory to glory, from purity to purity from vision to better vision. It it happens in this life. This is simply one perspective on the whole journey of the Christian life. This is what it means to grow in Christ. As you look at Jesus and keep your eyes on Jesus, You're transformed in purity, in glory. But there's more to seeing God. There's more to it. The purity in heart will lead to something even greater. The the purity that God's working in you has has a climax. And so the pure in heart will one day see Jesus face to face, in the fullest fullest sense with greater clarity than has ever been experienced in this life. As I said earlier, when you die and stand before God, stand before Christ in his holy presence, his unimaginable glory. And you see his face and you know him fully or perfectly, even as you have been known by him already in that first split second of perfect knowledge and perfect recognition of Christ, you will experience more joy than the sum total of your accumulated joys in this life. You will behold the dazzling blaze of His being, which has been and and will always be the, the fascination of the angels. Both Scripture and reason Suggest that this moment will be the greatest event of your life, the greatest event of your existence, at least up to that point. It will be your first full vision of God, and could anything be greater than that? It will be your biggest blessing to date. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Does your heart yearn for this? Do you even want this? Is this on your spiritual radar? Is this what you think about it all? About one of the blessings that God has given you? This this day. This this day that's going to happen when you stand before God. Job yearned to see God. In Job 19.27, Job says, I myself will see God with my own eyes. I and not another. How my heart yearns within me and he's talking about something that he's going to see after after death not anything that he saw in his you know visions of God on the earth he's he's looking beyond that to the greater vision how my heart yearns within me Job says do you yearn for that does is that a is that a part of your your piety your spiritual makeup to yearn for that. If not. Then you may not get. What Jesus is saying here. You, you may not get why he makes such a big deal. About seeing God. In the sixth beatitude. If it's not a part. Of what you long for. Then what's the big deal. But. If Jesus words mean anything they mean that we should be longing for the vision of God both in this life and in the life to come so let's back up and think about this beatitude as a whole and kind of unpack it a little bit and, and paraphrase it blessed or happy are the pure in heart those with clean unmixed undivided undistracted hearts for god for they and they alone will see god both in this life and in the age to come that's what it means have you experienced do you know a purity of heart an unmixed devotion to god do you know anything about it i'm not asking if you if you've reached perfection here if this is you know your perfect experience at every moment that's not what i'm asking i'm simply asking do you ever experience anything like it do you do you know what's even being talked about in these scriptures that we've been reading and thinking about is or maybe maybe we could ask it a, a different way that's easier to answer uh, is this single-heartedness your desire do you, do you want it? You're not sure, you know, it's hard to be introspective and know what's going on inside, right? But but do you desire it? Do you want it? The story I told at the beginning of the sermon about Mrs. Panika, when she received her sight at the age of 62, is actually something of a bitter, sweet story. Maybe not to her, probably wasn't. It was probably just sweet. But if you think about the, the broader context, the technology that corrected her sight had been available for decades before mrs panica took advantage of the technology she didn't have to wait until she was 62 years old for those cataracts those rare congenital cataracts to be removed the surgical technique was available to her when she was in her 20s or 30s in the same way the, the technique, quote-unquote, technique for curing spiritual blindness has existed for 2,000 years. The procedure is radical and 100% effective because God is the physician. God is the doctor. He is the surgeon. You must be born again. You must be pure in heart. And to be pure in heart, you must be given a new heart. That's what it means to be born again from above by water in the Spirit. You must be a recipient of the new heart that Ezekiel was talking about, talking about back in Ezekiel 36 that we read together. To be pure in heart, you must have received a new heart. Before you can be pure and see God, you must accept the purifying grace of God that is offered in Jesus Christ. Paul says in Titus 2, verses 11 to 14, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do good works. We can only be eager to do good works because we've been purified by the blood of Christ. We can only be pure in heart because our hearts, as Hebrews says Have been sprinkled by the blood, the blood of Christ. For those of us who have eyes that are now open, this text is an opportunity to develop and to enhance the the purity and the focus that God calls for. And in closing, I'll leave you with these handful of applications. Number one, Be honest with God about your heart's condition. Is your heart inwardly clean? Is is it pure in its focus on God? Ask the Holy Spirit to show you where it's not. to, To expose the state of your heart. Ask God to reveal the dark and unclean places. They're there. Find them and ask for God's help in finding them. Number two, acknowledge that only God can make your heart pure. This shouldn't make you passive. You know, like I'm waiting on God to make me pure. It just hasn't happened yet. So I guess I'll enjoy it, until it life until it does happen. No, that's not the point. It should only make you deeply aware of your need for God's grace. Paul tells the Philippians in Philippians 2, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to obey. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to obey. So this this seems to put the responsibility squarely on the Philippians, on us. But then the next verse says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. So God calls us to do the work. He demands, He requires you to do the work, to obey. And then when you're able to do it, You should recognize that behind your effort is God. It is God who works in you. The will to act according to his good purpose. Number three, fill yourself with God's word. Which is what sanctifies you and purifies you. In the upper room, Jesus told his disciples in John 15, You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So that word cleansed them. Immersion and interaction with God's word purifies you. So hear it. Read it. Mark it. Learn it. Inwardly digest it. Number four. And this is the final one. Think about what you will be in eternity. Make that hope a prominent aspect of of your spirituality, of your meditations, of your devotions. The Apostle John is very exact in explaining how such a hope purifies us. Listen to 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, he shall be, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, John says, just as he, Jesus, is pure. So this is the the hope, the, the, the the final hope when Jesus returns. You and I are going to be transformed, even in our bodies, into the likeness of Christ. This is not just your hope. John says that this is also your purifying hope. This is the hope that when you hope it, when you think about it, when you meditate on it, it purifies you. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as Jesus is pure. Let's pray. Father, again, we pray that you would use the word that was read and proclaimed and your spirit who inspired it and who also lives in us to transform us and to make us more like Jesus to make us pure in heart and to enable us to see you God we ask this in the name of Jesus amen